This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. everyone, my name is Chelsea Regan, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today we'll be talking with Lisa Sugira about her latest young adult novel, Love and Other Natural Disasters. If you're looking for a queer love story full of fake dating hijinks, family drama, and hilarious mishaps, then this is your perfect summer reading. I am so excited to have Misa here and to get the opportunity to speak with her about her book. So let's get started. Hey, Misa, thanks so much for chatting with me. I'm really excited to talk to you about your newest book. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I was hoping we could start off with you giving our listeners just a quick introduction to who you are and what your newest book is about. So I'm I'm Misa Sugiura. I'm the author of two and soon to be three young adult novels. First one is called It's Not Like It's a Secret. Second one is This Time Will Be Different. So I sort of like to wrestle with issues of identity, so queer identity, Asian identity, questions about race and how we talk to each other about it. And my third book is called Love and Other Natural Disasters, and it is out on June 8th. So it's about a girl named Nozomi Nagai, and she is kind of a relentlessly optimistic, hopeless romantic person, but she's coming off a humiliating rejection. And and it's just summertime, and she's been invited to San Francisco to spend the summer with her uncle. She's decided she's going to use this as an opportunity to reinvent herself and sort of prove to herself in the world that she is not the girl who gets rejected. Lo and behold, in the tradition of all great rom-coms, oh yes, and part of that reinvention is going to include a fantastic, awesome, gorgeous, sophisticated girlfriend. Yes, as I said, lo and behold, she has a meet-cute with just such a girl who happens to be coming off a horrible breakup herself. So one thing leads to another, and they're thrown into a situation where they decide to start fake dating. Willow sort of begs her to pretend to be her girlfriend. And Nozomi, knowing that in every rom-com she's ever seen, the fake dating relationship always becomes the real relationship, like just jumps in feet first, so excited to make this happen the way she thinks it's going to happen. Of course, things don't happen quite the way she imagines they will, and hijinks and shenanigans ensue, and there we go. That's a perfect description of it. I like that you mentioned this fake dating element in your book. I really loved it because it was unlike anything else, what the readers might expect out of fake dating. 
And you have all these great references to summer romance and rom-com tropes. And I was wondering, are you yourself a big fan of that genre? Yes. I'm not so much a romance reader, but I love rom-coms, even the bad ones. You know, I just get such a kick out of watching all the mishaps and knowing it's going to be okay in the end. And they were actually a huge kind of escape for me, especially over the last few years. something I really loved and I wanted to mess around with all the tropes in the book. Yeah. And I love how you say that messing around with them because you really do take them and twist them in these really fun and unexpected ways that keep you on your toes. I like what you said about these movies being escaped because I have to admit, I definitely related to Nozomi's desire to sort of live out her own versions of these stories. I think anybody who's a fan of that genre finds themselves like, daydreaming about living in that world or imagining how your life might be different. How did you decide to sort of incorporate that into her character? My first two characters in my first two novels were a little bit maybe on the pessimistic side, you know, insecure. I mean, Nozomi is definitely insecure too, but the two characters in my first novels were always worried that things weren't going to work out. So I just wanted to try something new and different. And I'd been tossing around the idea in my head of someone just like this girl. So The movie Amelie, which came out forever ago, it's a French movie about a woman who's so romantic and sort of lives in her dreams, has always been one of my favorites. And I've been wanting to write a character kind of like that for a little while. I've always wanted to write something super optimistic because that's not always how I am. It's how I wish I was sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what you get out of the character. It is that optimism that you get from rom-coms that we do wish we could have more of in our life. And it's nice seeing that in a person and and seeing the real world consequences of that optimism and that excitement and how that would actually play out rather than maybe how rom-com writers tell us it might play out where it's like, yeah, and it all works out great. I wanted to talk a little bit at the center of this book. You've created this really wonderful love. It's not a triangle. It's like a square. I mean, obviously reading the book, I really wanted Nozomi to get what she wanted, and I was rooting for her all the way, but I also really loved these three other women, and I am rooting for all of them, which can be complicated in that situation. I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about developing those three other characters. Well, Della was actually the first one to feel really fleshed out in my mind. She's typical in a dishet rom-com. She'd be the brooding bad boy the, you know, silent and aloof till someone finds their way into that person's heart. Uh, yeah, that's a trope I've always loved. It's a little bit problematic. Like maybe you wouldn't want to be with that kind of person in real life because <laughs> they're so difficult and emotionally distant. But, you know, there's this wonderful challenge of unpeeling all those layers. And I wanted to have a character like that in in this novel. And then Willow, who is the gorgeous, beautiful, sophisticated one, She actually gave me a little bit of trouble because she needed to have some depth. I was really into like talking about how beautiful she was. And it took a couple of revisions to give her a little bit more texture. You know, like what else does Nozomi see in her besides all that beauty and that charm? And then Arden, who is Willow's ex-girlfriend, she too, she took a little bit longer to come to life. Because, yeah, what kind of girl would Willow fall for and what kind of girl would walk away from Willow? So she, too, had to be beautiful and strong and gorgeous, but different from Willow. (laughs) So that's sort of the challenges that I faced in creating those characters. Absolutely. And I think your book has such a strong through line of making all these people 
real in a way that sometimes you don't necessarily get from a rom-com. You get those bad boy, beautiful girl sidekick, like you get those pieces, but they don't feel like fully fleshed out people. Whereas, especially with Della, I really like how you're peeling back the layers and those layers make sense. Like you can understand why she's guarded or what she's going through. And Nozomi does have to work to learn more about her. And I think that's such an honest way that a relationship can grow rather than just like you bump into someone and it's like love at first sight. And that's the end. And I also, along that vein, I also wanted to talk about this master plan of the fake dating. I think you do such a great job of pointing out how, if you were actually in a fake relationship, it probably wouldn't be all that romantic. Like, there'd be these moments that were not actually a lot of fun and were really complicated. You've managed to, like, ground this trope and have it have real-world consequences that I think people don't ever necessarily think of. I was wondering, is that something you've always seen in these stories, or was that something that came out of writing this story yourself and these characters becoming real to you? So the fake dating trope is one of my like all-time favorites. It's one of those things if I read it in a synopsis or a, you know see it in a trailer, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. I got to see this movie. I got to read this book. At the same time, yes, I've always felt like, eh, but really, like, would it work? And I, I don't know. I guess you could say that about many rom-com tropes, <laughs> but it's the one that I you know, that I kind of like the most, that I'd hate to love. So we have a sort of mix of those things. So yeah, when I decided to write this fake dating rom-com, I did, I went in with the intention of kind of turning it inside out a little bit and questioning, like, could it work? Could it work in real life? What do we not see in the movies? What else is going on? My editor actually was great because I was so invested in turning things inside out and upside down that I sometimes would forget about the actual trope. And she's like, you need to keep all of that stuff in there too. You need to keep the pining and the longing and the sort of slow burn, like, oh, we're just friends, but really I like you. So she was great in making sure that I kept the actual trope alive. <laughs> you walk that tightrope so beautifully in the book that you totally see why Nozomi thinks this might work. It all makes sense. But what is happening under the surface and what are the behind the scenes that you don't necessarily always see? And absolutely loved that. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the cast of characters as a whole. As you mentioned, your previous books have this sort of wonderful diversity to them, both in terms of sexual orientation and racial diversity. And this book is absolutely no different. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience creating these characters who I think for all our progress still very unfortunately don't get nearly enough attention, especially in terms of as the focus of the story or the main character of the story. Yeah. When I decided I wanted to write a novel like six or seven years ago, you know, YA contemporary was a voice that I felt like I knew I could do because I had been a teacher for several years in high school teacher. So then I, you know, every writer will tell you in order to write a genre, you need to read widely in that genre. So before I wrote anything, I checked out a whole bunch of books at the library and, and read through them and began to see that the cast of characters was overwhelmingly white and straight, you know, and the schools they went to were also not particularly racially diverse. And then I started thinking, all right, I definitely want to write about an Asian character and I definitely want to write about a queer character. Those two identities, for lack of a better word, are just both very close to my heart. So then specifically queer characters I was reading, they were definitely all white at the time. Asian characters were all straight. So then that's where I knew that mashup had to come in. 
And I also noticed that nobody ever talked about race. And the kids at my high school did talk about it, you know, not like as an everyday conversation, but they weren't afraid to address it with each other and joke about it with each other and come to me and tell me things. And so I thought if I'm going to write a realistic novel, all of that stuff has to be in there. Everybody else in the world needs to see that there are places and people like this who have the problems that they have and the discussions that they have. No, that's incredible. I didn't realize you were a teacher, but I think that makes a lot of sense because something else I really felt in your book, I think there's always this odd line of either writing children down or writing them up where they either sound like they've got their PhDs in psychology or like they can't put a sentence together. And your book has this wonderful dialogue and writing style that does feel like the mind of a 17-year-old. It's like, no, I understand who this person is. I understand where she is. I think sometimes, too, you get that problem of these kids sound like they're 10 years ago, maybe, because that's when the writer was that age or something like that. Whereas your books are like, no, this is the comfort level that kids have with this stuff now. And I really enjoyed that as part of your story. We've got a lot more to talk about with Misa, and we'll continue our conversation with her right after this break. Don't go anywhere. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Libro FM has the same audiobooks at the same price as that other audiobook store. You know who. But when you purchase from Libro FM, you're purchasing audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Be part of a different story and support your community. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the U.S. and Canada. So I wanted to talk a little bit also about Nozomi's family, which is the other big plotline of the book, and especially her relationship with her baba, her grandmother. I found this part of the book kind of difficult in moments, especially a book that's also this rom-com. This was a little bit more challenging of a relationship to read about, but I also found it brilliantly honest. I was hoping you could just talk a little bit more about developing that relationship between the two and developing that family dynamic. Yeah, initially I didn't want to make the yeah more difficult emotional part of the book quite so difficult, but you know, the more I wrote about it, the more I had to dig in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and this question of this grandmother who can't or well we don't know for sure like will she be able to handle the fact that her granddaughter is gay or will she not you know we're told or I, I tell you I don't know we learn early on in the book that Nozomi's uncle is gay and there's this really sort of fraught and sad history between him and his mother around that issue so Baba is just barely able to tolerate Uncle Stephen and his husband's relationship so that was sort of grew out of the past few years when I had lots of friends who were having trouble with their parents 
politically, you know, being on completely opposite sides of the spectrum, you know, like you love your parents or your uncle or whoever it is, and you don't want to lose that relationship with them, but they have attitudes that make it really, really hard to be in the same room with them. And I saw different reactions to that. I saw some friends saying, I can't do this anymore. I have to cut you out of my life. And some friends deciding that that was impossible and they had to find a way through it, you know, with varying results on both sides. So, yeah, that was just an issue I really wanted to explore. And I thought about my own grandmother, who both of them adored me and whom I adored. And I know definitely one of them would have had a very difficult time understanding if I were to come out to her. She's just got her own ideas about things. And would I want to give up a relationship with her because of that? I don't I don't think I would. And so I just thought it would be a good time for me to explore that whole issue. And because this book is about love and how it doesn't always turn out the way you want it to and how you sometimes have to struggle through things, it fits thematically with the book. So that's where it came from. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I think you're right, too, that this is something whether it's about sexuality or political views or whatever it is, that it is something people are struggling with now. And another element that you included that I think goes along with this vein as well is the relationship Nozomi has with her parents who are going through a divorce or have recently split up. And I really love that her story with them was about learning to see your parents are human and that sometimes it's you as the child's responsibility to forgive them or accept the life that they've decided to lead, even if it's not something you would have chosen or it's unexpected to you. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you incorporated that into the story. Uh, yeah. So the line that I sort of knew I wanted to include, which is Nozomi's dad saying, oh, no, I can't remember the line. <laughs> it's something along the lines of, um, I couldn't love her the way she needed me to love her. And that's actually something I heard a friend of mine, a man who had recently divorced his wife. He was a teacher and one of his students, they were all just hanging around in his classroom and teenagers just ask things sometimes. And the kid said to him, why did you get divorced? And that's what he said. He said, I couldn't love her in the way that she needed, which I thought was such a wonderful thing to say because it didn't put any blame really on anyone. And it's often that's what is at the heart of breakups is people just can't find a way to love each other in the way the other person needs. And it seemed to fit. So because I wanted that line in there, <laughs> then I had to have divorced parents <laughs> or divorcing parents. And I've had absent fathers in the first two books. Again, I wanted to try a little bit different. So I wanted this time to have the father be someone who is present and an emotionally stable person in the main character's life. You know, that's why the dad is in there quite a lot. This time it's the mom who is maybe not as present. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I don't know. No, absolutely. And I love that story. I feel like you hear that from authors in a bunch of different ways about like writing to a moment or writing to a line. A whole story can bloom out of this single idea or the single thing you've heard. That's also such a good point and such an important thing to put in young adult books of like sometimes breakups really are as simple as not being able to love one another the way you need to and that that's okay. And you can move on from that and there doesn't need to be this sense of blame. And, and I love that between the parents. And I love that. I love that Nozomi struggles with that too because it is a difficult thing to learn. 
it's so honest the way she tries to deal with that and with the truth of her parents' life. And this actually ties into something else I wanted to talk about, which I love that there's this sense of self-awareness that runs through your story. I think it's so important and sometimes, unfortunately, overlooked in a main character, especially sometimes in YA. But in your story, there are these moments where Nozomi is clearly either lying to herself or making maybe kind of a big mistake. And we all know it, but we also know it's what she needs to do and that she needs to take this next step and see what happens. But she also has these really great moments of clarity where she takes responsibility for not only her choices, but the consequences of those choices. And I think sometimes, as we've sort of talked about in romance novels and rom-coms, the scheming can be forgiven and forgotten because there was a happy ending. And so it's like, ah, it was all for the best that we lied to everyone we know. Maybe not. But you don't let your characters get away with that. And I love that. And I was wondering, are these lessons that you were conscious of putting into the book? And are they things that you're hoping readers can take away? Yes, definitely. Just as you said, that has always been my sort of one niggling problem with rom-coms, despite the fact that I adore them, is that the happy ending trumps all the emotional <laughs> damage that may have been done throughout, you know, all the scheming and the plotting and the mishaps. Yeah, I wanted to take it one step further and explore the world outside that very, very narrow plot of the success of the love story. Yeah, I guess I would love for readers to see that and take that away and maybe start thinking about, you know, I wonder how the fake married couples' families really do feel about the fact that they've been duped all along. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, absolutely. At the end of those, there should be like a chapter that's like the family's reaction. What do you mean it was all a giant lie? How could you? We never get that, but we should. I think what's really great is your book does include apologies, which sometimes oddly we don't see, which I think is crazy. You need to apologize to someone. Someone's been hurt or someone's been lied to, even if things do work out okay. I love that you included that. And I love that your story has that. Finally, I was reading your bio online and I really loved something you said about how you have to work at your writing. It's not something that comes naturally or like just flows out of you, but that you really work at your stories and put effort into discovering your characters. I think that can be really important to hear from successful authors, because I think sometimes we talk about writing like it's this magical superpower where it's like you either have it or you don't. It either like flows out of you or you're just doomed to never be a writer. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your general writing process and any advice you might have for our listeners who are interested in writing stories of their own. You know, I go online sometimes and I read people talk about their process and they say, oh, I, sometimes I just feel like I'm channeling the characters and I, I couldn't control where the story went. It just took me in this place. And I hardly ever have that experience. I heard an author once say, well, I just have these stories and these characters in my head and they just kind of rattle around there for a few months and I get to know them. And then I sit down and the story comes out and I, I'm like, ah, that just never happens to me. I have to spend several weeks writing notes to myself about who I think these characters are. So I guess in that sense, that's where they are just gestating. But it's very intentional. I ask all the questions of myself. Well, what does this character want? You know, what is her greatest flaw and how will it get in the way of what she wants? And, and I have to do that with the main character and a couple of side characters, you know, and then I, it takes me a couple more weeks to come up with the plot problem. And then I, <laughs> so 
I do a lot of prep work in advance because the story doesn't just come to me and I am not a pantser. So I am not comfortable with, you know, discovery writing where I just sit down and see what happens in the story. So there's all of this character and background work up front. And then there's the terrifying moment where you have to start actually writing the story. <laughs> I never start at the beginning because I am afraid that it will be the wrong beginning. So you're talking about a perfectionist control freak here, <laughs> trying to manage her tendencies. So I start always a little bit after the beginning and it takes me a long time. I'm a very slow writer. I write maybe a thousand words a day, which is about four pages. And that takes me often two or three hours and then I'm done. Like I'm just exhausted and I can't do anymore. And then I always have to like go back and be like, this is really who this character is. And usually at about 10,000 words, I stall out and have to like reassess and then redo an outline. So it's a very long, slow, painful process. <laughs> so if there's anyone out there who's struggling, you're not alone and, and you can do it. <laughs> No, that's perfect. I think that's so great to hear, especially from successful published authors, that it's not a magic process, but it's worth making your way through it. So to sort of finish up, where can our listeners learn more about you and your books? Yes, I can be found at misasugiura.com. I'm on Twitter at miscellaneous1 which I thought was a really cute handle at the time that I made it up. But now that I'm like on podcasts and, and panels, you know, online, it's hard because it's hard to spell. But it's my first name and then the rest of the word miscellaneous with a one at the end. Perfect. And I, I love that handle. That's so great. And we will link to all of your social media in the show notes. So if you're interested in following Misa, just scroll on down. Thank you so much for being with us here today. It was so great getting to speak with you, and I loved hearing more about your process and, and your book. Thank you so much. I had so much fun with you. These are like probably some of the best questions I've been asked so far, so thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at Plucky Bookmark or on Twitter at ChelseaRegan17. I hope you enjoyed this show and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.